Hello, friends. Welcome to Emmanuel Cares, Casting Nets, and Raised with Jesus podcast. Yes, three podcasts hosting the same content, wonderful content, as we are looking through the book of Job together in an online way. You don't need a Bible sheet of any kind. Just sit back, listen to me read from the Evangelical Heritage Version, and discover together how we can find peace through life's unpredictable paths. We're studying God's Word today. We're looking at the book of Job uh, 22 to 26 are our chapters for today, the third discourse between Job and his friends. And uh, his friends are going to not, are going to run out of steam. His first friend, Eliphaz, only has about 30 verses to say. His second friend, Bildad, has about six verses to say. And the third friend doesn't say anything at all. Uh, Job responds. Actually, what's curious is that in today's uh, reading, Job's going to build on what the accusation of his friend. He's going to take their accusation and take it to the next level. So it is an interesting uh, text to go through together. Uh, hopefully we will help uh, find some peace during these troubled times and we'll give you some encouragement as you're looking at how Job responds to the friends, how people sometimes respond to suffering and, and the like. Today, as we're looking at our text, we are going to be talking about different themes. Different pictures are going to be tossed back and forth between Job and his friends. Uh, one of the pictures is of the sea and all of the sea monsters that are within there. We're going to bring up Rahab, which we haven't talked about since chapter nine. Rahab is a sea monster. Uh, in ancient times, we're not exactly sure what it is in reference to, but it's one of the pictures that is used that Job uh, sends to his friends and his <laughs> sends, but they talk about, they use it as a frame to communicate uh, content to each other. The other content that they're going to be talking to each other about is um, darkness and light and so on. So those are some of the pictures, not all of the pictures, but you'll see th- this is what brings them together. This is what makes it uh, poetry is their use of content and, and weaving that content back and forth, a use of pictures and metaphor and weaving those pictures back and forth. Now, Eliphaz is where we're going to start today. And Eliphaz uh, has the 40 verses, like I mentioned. He is going to actually make some wild accusations at Job. He's going to, Job has challenged them and said, give me a specific sin that I've committed. And Eliphaz is going to go fishing for sins. He's going to accuse Job of all kinds of things in these verses. Job will find out later, will defend himself. He'll defend himself indirectly in his response to Eliphaz. And he'll defend himself directly when we get to next time, when we look at chapter 29 uh, of Job chapter 29. Now, as we're going through this, I'm going to just stop with my own um, my own comments. But I also want to challenge you. What about Eliphaz's statement is true Maybe even insightful for today, but not true for Job. Maybe, maybe just take that first part. What about Eliphaz's statement is true? Although we know it's not true for Job, but what is it true or insightful? Um, even so, and it is interesting to, even if it doesn't apply to Job. It is interesting to look at scripture, um, and how God has revealed to us what the scripture says, but it doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily ringing true for Job, but may ring true in other situations. I'll get to that in a little bit. So let's get to the text. Job chapter 22. Eliphaz, the Temanite, responded, Can a man benefit God? 
Can even a wise man be of any use to him? Should the Almighty be delighted if you are righteous? Does he gain any advantage if your ways are blameless? It is because of your reverence that he rebukes you. He comes against you in judgment. Isn't your wickedness great? Isn't your guilt endless? You have seized collateral from your brothers without cause, and you have stripped off clothing from the naked. You have not given water to the weary and have withheld bread from the hungry. Now, here for me, this is just me, uh, the night thing, the things that are insightful about Eliphaz is in verses two and three where he says, is God going to be delighted if you are righteous? Does he take advantage if your ways are blameless? Reminds us of what Jesus says in the gospel lessons when, uh, you get to the end of all things and the Lord will commend you for it. And the answer, one of the answers uh, Jesus suggests us to give is, well, we only did our duty. We only did uh, what you asked of us. That's a painful truth for people to to remember because we often like to pat ourselves on the back. Lord, look at me. Look at this awesome thing that I have done. And God could rightly say to us, um, you're still not perfect. Or, oh, that's nice. I do that all the time. Or I do that in my sleep. Or God doesn't sleep. But just a, the metaphor that God could use and say, that's that's no big deal. We want God to pat us on the back for all the things that we have done. And we are reminded that perfection is really where everything begins, not ends. How Jesus was perfect in every way. And yet he is built on that. Um, and is, is, uh, um, in his life here on earth, he was without sin and blameless. Um, but for us to think that that is the end all and be all, we're still not God. We can't create anything. We can't speak and things come out of, out of, out of thin air, out of nothingness. We are still human beings after all. So that, that was a very insightful thing of Eliphaz. Of course, doesn't apply to Job because Eliphaz wants to look at Job's life as this is an indicator of how God feels about him. A Job, you're suffering because you're, you've sinned. You've done something great. And here, is comes the wild accusations. Job has challenged his friends and said, give me exactly the thing that I have done. And Eliphaz uh, makes some broad, generalistic, generalized uh, accusations at Job, but they're not specific. He doesn't mention a person by name. Job, you did this to this poor person. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, the poor, the widow, and the fatherless. And if you'll pay attention later on in Job's response, he's going to build on this and say, you know what? Um, let's look at the poor, the widow, and the and the fatherless. And as he's ex- explaining it and talking about their situation, you can see that Job has um, adopted Eliphaz's argument and said, yeah, "Exactly, we should be treating the poor better. We should be treating the the widow better. We should be treating the fatherless better. That's the kind of person I am." Job says, uh, "You accuse me of not caring because I'm rich." And Eliphaz is going to build on that. So let's go. With- Go to that. Eliphaz just said, you're rich, therefore you don't care about the poor, therefore you don't care about the widow, therefore you don't care about the fatherless. Um, and if I could take it just a personal note, doesn't that sound like, a lot like our society today when they uh, make accusations against those who have a lot of things? Uh, you don't care about these things. I think in the abortion debate uh, where they lob those accusations at Christians, Christians, uh, you just care about babies being born and then you don't care about anything afterwards. And they forget um, there are a lot of Christians that care about uh, families that do something about that. Uh, a lot of the hospi- hospitals are manned by Christians and vo- who give their volunteer 
time to help out children. We think of uh, homeless shelters or um, battered women's shelters, or in our little area, we have called something called the Bay Area Life Center. So we've uh, have volunteers, Christians, who are concerned not just with the baby being born, but uh, their lives and and help moms and families throughout their life. So anyway, <clears throat> back to our text. Verse 8, the earth belongs to a forceful man and a well-respected man dwells in it. And um, we're not, a, this kind of th- is in the middle of nowhere, not given much context. Perhaps he is being sarcastic where he, uh, Eliphaz is referring to, this is the perception of the society in which they live, that forceful men have to take a hold of, 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 of things, grab the, grab themselves by their coattails who grab them, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, go and do this. He, and um, he is accusing Job of being this kind of guy that's because he's successful. And in order to get, be and get his success, he's had to mistreat the poor and the widowed and the fatherless, which is couldn't be further from the truth. So he's being, um, He's, he's giving accusations at Job that have no merit whatsoever. But in doing so, he helps remind us too, uh, when Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Uh, we, when we're wielding the sword of God's law, be careful that we don't chop something off that isn't there or, uh, chop something that isn't a sin. We make some broad accusations against people that aren't true. Stick with what you know. Stick with the sin that is in the forefront. Stick to the issue. Don't make some broad um, statements about, I could, I could see this, especially what people are thinking, because we don't know what they're thinking. We're dealing, let's deal with what people say and what people do. Um, and if we're going to condemn someone for their thoughts, let's be very, very sure we know what those thoughts are. Okay, back to the false accusations. You send widows away empty-handed. You crush the arms of the fatherless. That is why snares are all around you. And sudden fear overwhelms you. This is why you cannot see in the darkness and floodwaters cover you. Again, there's those floodwaters and darkness uh, concepts. Is not God in the heights of heaven? Look at the highest stars so high above. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through this thick darkness? Dark clouds are a veil around him. He does not see us as he walks back and forth in heaven's dome. Are you the guardian of the ancient way, the one traveled by wicked men? They are stitched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away by a river. They said to God, keep away from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Even though he had filled their houses with good, that is why the way of life of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see this and are glad. The innocent mock them, saying, Surely our adversaries have been erased. Fire has eaten up their abundance. He hasn't left his presupposition that you have earthly blessings if you're doing well. You have earthly trouble if you are sinful. And um, he claims that this has been the case throughout history that people have turned their back on God and God has in this lifetime turned his back on them. Verse 21, a beautiful verse, but again, not applicable to Job. 
Be reconciled with God, be at peace with him, then good will come to you. Accept teaching from his mouth and set his words in your in your heart. If you turn to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you want to put injustice far from your tent, throw the purest gold into the dust and throw gold from Orphir upon the rocks and the ravines. Then the Almighty will be your purest gold and your precious silver. And you then you will find pleasure in the Almighty and you will lift your face to God. You will pray to God and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. He will decide on a matter and it will be done for you and light will shine on your ways when people are brought low and you will say, lift them up. God will save the downcast. He will deliver even the person who is not innocent, who will escape by the purity of your hands. Um, here Eliphaz prescribes for Job his repentance, the fruits of his repentance. Job, throw your money away. And then your riches will be with God. You've done the poor a great injustice. Now give your money to the poor, and then things will turn around for you. Sounds very appealing. But there is a big mistake when we prescribe fruits of repentance. Sometimes we don't know what the fruits of repentance are going to be. You talk to someone about their sin, they confess their sin, and they're forgiven, and now what? You can give them guidance, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will will uh, um, will move them to act in ways that you can't predict, nor can you bind a person's conscience. So, for example, uh, let me give you an example. Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus says, look, uh, I'm going to give you, uh, if I've robbed anybody, I'm going to give them back four times the amount or two times the amount or something like that. He gives Zacchaeus gives this laundry list of things he is going to do uh, because the Lord has shown favor to him. Jesus didn't tell him to do any of those things. Um, sometimes the Apostle Paul does give instruction and to guidance, but he's very um, broad and not specific. In, in, in some cases, we have to be very careful about prescribing, uh, works of repentance, uh, because the Holy Spirit, we have to give some, leave some room for the Holy Spirit to do his work. Leave some room for the Holy Spirit to move a person to act in line with God's word. And perhaps they'll do more than what you ask, perhaps they'll do less, but either way, it is a work done by the Holy Spirit, not because you have demanded it from them. Does that make sense? I, I, I could be clearer on that, um, Help help me be clear on that. If you have a comment, comment on that below. Perhaps I've made my case, and you're saying, Pastor, just move on. We're ready. We get it. We understand. Chapter twenty-three. Uh, now Job is going to respond. He doesn't really lash out at Eliphaz, which is interesting. He turns to the Lord. But he really is talking to himself. Uh, he doesn't actually talk to the Lord. He's talking to himself because the idea of talking to God in a way terrifies him. So let's look at Job. Then Job responded, Every day my complaint is bitter. His hand weighs heavily on me despite my groaning. I wish I knew where I could find him so that I could come to his place for judgment. Then I would lay down, lay out my, cast, my case before him. Then I would fulfill... I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what words he would use to respond to me and would consider what he would say to me. Would he use his great power to press charges against me? No, he will certainly give me a hearing. 
there an upright man would argue, could argue with him, and I would be delivered from my judge forever. But if I walk to the east, he is not there. If I walk to the west, I find no sign of him. When he is at work in the north, I do not detect him. When he turns to the south, I do not see him. But I am sure he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come out like gold. My feet had followed his footsteps closely. If I have kept his way, if I have not turned aside, I have not departed from the command from his lips. I have treasured the sayings from his mouth in my heart. Here, um, Job's comment to the Lord, it doesn't seem like you're here. I understand you're still here. I understand that um, you are keeping everything together, and he'll talk about this later on. Job understands that the Lord is keeping everything together, but he doesn't see in creation what God has revealed in his word. He look, goes to the west, goes to the north, goes to the east. He wants to see God being a God of justice, who's, who's defending the fatherless, who's defending the widow, defending the poor, but he doesn't see it. And he is wondering why. Job, and he's also thinking of himself too. Lord, um, I'm suffering here. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't seem like this is who you are. Without God's love and mercy, the justice and holiness of God terrifies Job, and it really should too. The whole idea of the of the law, the law always working in our hearts, our consciences, um, re- reminding us that there is a God out there who punishes the the evildoer. Um, that what terrifies us. If we appeal to God and say, "God, punish the evildoer." Our consciences are reminding us, yeah, you're an evildoer too. You're, you're looking for God to punish the other guy. Um, he might punish you. Uh, let's finish off the chapter. Verse 13. He stands alone. Who can make him change? Whatever his soul's desires, he will do. He carries out his decrees against me, and he has so many of them. That is why I am in a panic in his presence. When I think about this, I dread him. God has made me lose heart. The Almighty has terrified me. Nevertheless, I am not silenced by the darkness, by the dark cloud that covers my face. Again, he's using the picture of darkness. Job's friend wants to look at the picture of darkness as if this is the bad things that are happening to Job. And Job is saying, um, I'm in the midst of darkness already, not because of my sin, but because of the suffering that I am enduring. And the fact that I can't, uh, get an audience with God. God doesn't ex- hasn't explained His will uh, to me in a way that I understand. Chapter twenty four is Job's going to build on Eliphaz's comment, where Eliphaz says, um, "Job, you don't, uh, you are not mistreating the poor, the widow, and the fatherless." And Job's going to look around and say. Um, God doesn't do anything about the widow and the poor and the father. It seems it seems like sin just keeps on going, and God doesn't do anything to stop it. And this is um, for us as Christians. This is very insightful for us as well as we look at evil in the world, and we maybe as we get older, we're more sensitive to the evil in the world, and we forget about the evil of the past, and so we look back at the past with rosy 
rosy glasses and say, oh, it was always better back then. And then we are reminded, oh, there was sin back then too. And uh, Job's comments reminds us that there is a God of justice who is in control, but it doesn't look that way. It doesn't appear that way as you look at creation. Here we go. Why are, uh, chapter 24, verse 1, why are appointments never scheduled by the Almighty? Why do those who know him never see such days? People move boundary stones, <laughs> like moving fence lines. They steal a flock and take it to pasture. They drive away donkeys that belong to the fatherless. They seize the widow's ox as collateral. They shove the poor out of the way. The oppressed people of the land hide together. They go out to their labor like wild donkeys in the wilderness, looking for food. The wasteland is their only source of food for themselves and for their children. They gather their straw in the open countryside. They glean leftovers in the vineyard of the wicked. They spend the night naked without clothing. They have no covering from the cold. They are soaked in heavy rain from the mountains. They cling to a cliff for shelter. The wicked tear away from fatherless child from his mother's Tear away a fatherless child from his mother's breast. They take a poor mother's nursing baby as collateral. The poor walk around naked without clothing. They pick up sheaves but are still hungry. They press olive oil among the terraces of olive trees. They tread wine presses, but they remain thirsty. The dying people of the city groan. The wounded souls cry out for help, but God does not bring charges against anyone. So by this point, Job is reminding Eliphaz and reminding us that Eliphaz's argument against Job, that he doesn't care about the poor, he doesn't care about the fatherless, he doesn't care about the widow, Job has given ample evidence. Of course he cares about these three things. He doesn't mention here all the things that he does for the poor and the widow and the fatherless, but he does take up the cause and say, that's my cause too. I don't like to see go around and, and see people who are poor and widow. I'm not uncaring. I'm not an insensitive individual because I am rich. In fact, it's the exact opposite. What Job sees around him is not that God appears to be acting, even though he knows, he knows that God has an opinion about sin. God has an opinion about what they're doing. Verse 13. There are people who rebel against the light, They do not acknowledge its ways or dwell in its paths. At the end of the daylight, a murderer arises, and he kills the poor and needy. At night, he acts like a thief. The eye of the adulterer keeps watch for twilight. He says, no eye can get a good look at me. He wears a mask over his face. In the dark of night, he digs into houses. By day, such people hide inside. They keep away from the light. For all of them, mourning is their darkness. They are familiar with the sudden terror of darkness. So here again, we... uh, uh, the revealing the truth that pe- people like to sin in darkness. Why is it that a bar, I don't need to pick on bars, but have you ever gone to a bar at 10 a.m. in the morning? It doesn't look as cool of a place as it does at 10 o'clock at night. Um, and temptations too. When you think about temptations, certain temptations are, we are more susceptible to them at nighttime than we are during the day. I think it's just evil hiding itself from God, just like Adam and Eve hidden in the garden. We like the cover of darkness. It makes us feel safer when we do those sins. Job is telling us, yeah, this still happens. This has happened back in the days of Job, continues to happen in 2022. 
Verse 18, they float by like foam on the surface of the water. Their portion of the land is cursed. So no one turns into the road uh, to their vineyards. As drought and heat snatch away the water from the snow, the grave snatches away the sinner. The womb forgets him. The worm finds him sweet. He will no longer be remembered. Wickedness is broken like a tree. He feeds on the childless woman. He does nothing good for the widow. But God drags away the mighty by his strength. He rises up so the wicked have no confidence in their lives. God lets them be secure and they prop themselves up. But his eyes are on their ways. They are high and mighty for a little while, but then they are gone. They are brought low like all the rest. They are gathered together like ears of grain that have been cut off. So then, who can make me out to be a liar? Who can reduce my words to nothing? That last verse is uh, Job being like the guy in Matrix. I think it's Morpheus. And he does a little hand thing, you know, come up, come at me. I think uh, Leo does the same thing too. Like, what else you got? I've just I dismantled everything you have said so far, and you still call me a liar, and you don't have an argument against me. I I look around and I see that God does not treat the world like the way you think He's treating me. He doesn't treat the world as if um, sin is punished here on this earth right now, as is your accusation against me that I'm being punished for some particular sin. Job says, uh, confront me of my particular sin. Confront me of the, th- the thing that I have done. Eliphaz says, you neglected the poor. You neglected the fatherless. You neglected the uh, the widow. And Job responds and says, that's my cause too. I want to take care of the poor and the widow and the fatherless. I don't think it's fair that they're mistreated in this world. And God doesn't seem to do anything about it either. That's what Job's point is. It doesn't seem like there is a consistency in God's justice as he look around, looks around in this world. Bildad's, Bildad is next. He's got five verses. Bildad the Shuite responded, The power to rule and to inspire fear belongs to him. He makes peace on high. Can anyone count his troops? Is there anyone on whom his light does not rise? How then can a man be righteous with God? How can one born of a woman be pure? If even the moon does not shine brightly for him, if and if the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less a man who is a maggot, the son of man who is a worm? Again, uh, Bildad doesn't have much to say, doesn't add much to what he has said before. He reminds Job the, the bigness of God that even the the brightness of the moon or the brightness of the stars is not nothing in comparison to God, which is Eliphaz's statement to Job. So he's not bringing anything new to the conversation. He is using a lot of the same words and themes and pictures. Uh, the worm is in one of those pictures where Job says um, God uses uh, the worm is is in some ways God's justice. The only justice somebody gets is when when they're dying and the worm is eating up their bodies, or when they're dead, I should say, and the worm is eating up their bodies. Here, uh, the friend Bildad says, "Guess what, Job? You're a maggot. You're a worm in comparison to God." He it just doesn't like the fact that Job can't confess a sin. 
he just doesn't like the fact that Job claims to be righteous in God's sight. And it's not that Job claims to be righteous per se. Job says, I've already, he, and we've talked about this before, Job has confessed his sin to God, and yet he feels like God's being unfair by allowing this suffering to happen. And the friends, they're always telling Job, your sin has caused this suffering. This is God's discipline on you for something you have done. And they don't like it that Job says, I'm already, any sin that I've done, I've already looked at myself I've watched myself. I've, if I've sinned, I've confessed that sin to God. It doesn't seem like uh, God, and he, and God has forgiven me, Job. I think Job makes a, a reference to that, not in a, a New Testament term where Jesus, you know, tells his disciples, if you forgive anyone their sins, you know, very specifically than that. But Job has this understanding that his sins are taken care of, that God doesn't punish uh, the individual for the sin that they've committed in the past. God does forgive and have mercy and so on. Okay, uh, chapter 26, Job responds to Bildad a little bit, but he's going to expand on it. He's going to take Bildad's thoughts and he's going to explode them and, and make them better. He's going to make a better argument. Chapter 26, then Job responded, how marvelously you have helped the helpless. This is, okay, I forgot to mention, Job's sarcastic. Uh, he is, he's gonna mock his friends, uh, because they, they aren't really helping him at all. They're accusing him of a sin. Job says, specifically tell me the sin that I've done. And the friends come back and they say, well, you've done, and they go fishing for a sin. You've neglected the poor. You've neglected the, the harm, the, the fatherless. You've neglected the widow. And they're, the basis of that is not a particular instance or a particular person, but the fact that Job is rich. This is the only reason why, uh, only evidence that they have that he has committed those sins. So again, a reminder from Galatians chapter six, that when we are uh, confronting someone of their sin, let's be careful, watch ourselves so that, cause we might be tempted just to make broad strokes with the sword of the law and chop off somebody's arm when really we're only going for their finger. We're only going for one particular sin. Let's not make wild accusations of other sins because that might, deter that individual from confessing of that particular sin because they'll say, well, hey, you're making all these wild accusations. Why should I believe um, anything you say? Does that make sense? Chapter 26, verse 1. Then Job responded, How marvelously you have helped the helpless. How wonderfully you have saved the arm that has no strength. What great advice you have given to the one who lacks wisdom. What great insight you have revealed. Snarkiness over. Who helped you proclaim these words? Whose breath came out of your mouth? The spirits of the dead writhe in pain underneath the waters, along with all those who dwell there. Hell is naked before God, and there is nowhere to hide in the place of destruction. I really like this because it's a reminder to me. Sometimes we say hell is the place where God is not, and what we mean by that is we're talking about God's providence. God isn't uh, taking care of anybody in hell. And, um, he, he isn't providing relief like he does here on earth. That hell is a place that is experiencing God's justice, uh, which is a reminder of what Job is telling us. Hell is naked. It can't hide from God. If we ever say hell is a place where God is not, and we mean to say that he doesn't care what's going on down there or he doesn't know what's going on down there, 
then that's just another lie of Satan. Uh, another lie of Satan to say, um, you don't have to um, pay attention to your spiritual state before God because in hell, yeah, there's punishment, but God isn't really paying attention and we can kind of do whatever we want down there. Job reminds us, no, 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 hell is a place where you cannot hide from the justice and anger of God. Verse 7. He stretches out the northern sky across the emptiness. He suspends the earth on nothing. He encloses water in his clouds, but the clouds are not broken apart by its weight. He dims the face of the full moon by veiling it with his clouds. He drew a circle around the surface of the waters. He marks the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven shake. They are stunned by his rebuke. By his power, he calmed the sea. By his understanding, he smashed Rahab. There's Rahab. Remember Rahab? That's this thing here. An idea of what Rahab might be. A sea creature. By his breath, the skies became beautiful. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. But all these are just the fringe of his ways. How faint a whisper we hear of him who understands his power, who is displayed in the thunder. So Job takes Bildad's comment of, you know, God is, is big and he doesn't, even the, the light of the moon of the stars does not compare to his glory. Job says, guess what? All of the things that we perceive, God is taking care of everything. He is superior to all of those things. He is sovereign over all of these things. But yet, this is only the tip of the iceberg. This is just the fringe of his ways. Why God does what he does is a well, Job is saying. And that's a well that's impenetrable. You stare down that well, and you don't get the answer and the comfort that you need. Which leads us to the main point of the book of Job, finding peace on an unpredictable path. As we look at our lives and we see that God is in control, we understand that God is in control. Some being has to be in control, we say. Why he allows things to happen? Why does he allow the Ukraine war? Does Why does he allow um, so much bloodshed to happen, maybe in the streets of Chicago, things like that? the unpredictable path of life. Where do we find peace in the answer to why or in God's revealed word where there we find who God is and what he has done. Who is God? A God who loves us and is merciful who has sent his son Jesus to die for us. A God who is going to bring justice to the world at the end of all things. There is a place called hell. God's justice, though it seems like it's imbalanced now, will balance out in the end. So find peace in the revealed word of God. That's Job chapter 22 to 26. Zophar doesn't speak, so Job doesn't respond. Chapter 27, which is next time we have Job's final monologue, uh, and then a new friend emerges, Elihu emerges, who is going to bring some new information, new a new tact in com- in his conversation with Job. And then the true friend is going to come. The true friend of Job, the Lord, is going to speak. So until that time, 
Find peace in the unpredictable path of life by going to God's revealed word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so many times we are reminded that you are a God uh, who is in control. You are a powerful God. We look at the calamities of the world, tornadoes and, and hurricanes, earthquakes, and and the rest. We are reminded that there is a being who is powerful. But we are also, as we look at how you manage the world, sometimes we are mystified why you allow certain things to happen. And in those moments, let us focus on what you have promised in your word. Let us find peace. Help us to find peace uh, when our lives don't make sense, when we can't figure out the reason why you allow things to happen. Help us to find peace in who you are, in your great love for us, that your love for us is not dependent on our obedience to you, but your love for us is dependent on what your son did for us. Help us to rev- to rely on that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll see you next time on the book of Job.